Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Um, if you're using one of these pew Bibles, I don't know whether they're pew Bibles or not, but a Bible like this, it would be 1128, page number 1128. Romans chapter 1, and really what I look at today is verses 16 and 17, but we'll read from verse 1 through to verse 17 um, at this time. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son, who, as to His human nature, was a descendant of David, and who through this, the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Him and for His name's sake we receive grace and apostleship, to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are, being, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Back with you again um, as Jason, yeah, uh, said to you, I come from Balamone. I've been living in Edinburgh now for four and a half years or so, um, but I hope to hold on to the Ulster accent, um, and you can tell me later if I'm doing that. Um, it, it, it is interesting to read Paul's letter to Rome. You've got to put yourself in the mindset of what Rome was in those days and what Paul was. Paul, according to tradition anyway, was a very ordinary man, a, a, very much a hero for us as Christians, but um, it would seem he was a very ordinary man, a man of small stature, a man with a bald head and crooked legs, a man with a good state of body. Uh, one of these uh, ancient historic documents tells us, with eyebrows meeting in the middle and a nose somewhat hooked. Some of that comes from tradition. We can't base an awful lot on it, but he does say in the Scriptures for us by his own admission that he wasn't an orator to compare with some of the other speakers um, 
that he had to compare with uh, at times. And when you compare Paul as a person to Rome, well, Rome was, was the imperial city, was the seat of, of, of the emperor and, um, and all of the Roman Empire that stretched from the Atlantic Ocean in the west to the river Euphrates in the east, from the Danube in the north to the Sahara Desert in the south, all of that was ruled from Rome. It's quite a. It was it was increasingly in the ta- in, uh, in in this uh, time becoming quite a prestigious place. They had they had done a lot of infrastructure work. They had their Roman roads that were all leading to Rome. When you got to Rome, there was quite a significant infrastructure to uh, to provide flowing water that wasn't experienced or that wasn't the, the uh, privilege of other cities and also a sewer system to take it away. There were bathrooms and fountains. It was a luxurious city for the wealthy few. And the emperor Nero at the time when Paul is writing demanded worship. And so Rome, Paul was an ordinary fella, really. But Rome stood proud and prestigious and powerful by contrast. And yet he writes to them and he says, I'm not ashamed. And also, if, if you compare Paul's message with... with uh, Hellenistic teaching or, or a Roman philosophy, Paul's message centered on and made much of a humble Jew from the region of Galilee. It was a man, it uh, focused attention on, the, on this man, Jesus, who himself was very much just an, 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 an ordinary person, um, seemingly from, from a worldly point of view anyway, who had a small band of followers and they were described themselves, this small band of followers, as uneducated, ordinary men. And Paul's message was that a person needed to humble themselves and to trust in this Jesus of Nazareth, this Galilean man who had been killed by these same Romans on a, on a cross many years previous, whereas Rome's message was one of pride in man exalting oneself and presenting oneself as accomplished. And the prestige and power of Rome was such that they would have walked over anyone who got in their way. Humility and dependence didn't figure, certainly not humility and dependence, depending on some little-known Jew from the East. And yet Paul, Paul writes to Rome confident, undaunted, proud even of what he has to share with them. Um, and I feel, as I read that, that, that we would need to ask ourselves, why was he so confident in his message? Because I think we would need to capture something of that. I think, I, I, I think for those even that are being baptized next Sunday morning or, or evening, whenever that is, that they would need something of this confidence that Paul is sharing about to confidently um, present what they're believing in. Um, and I think for us living in Scotland today, it, it will be helpful for us to have something of a confidence in our message in a, in a day when, much like ancient Rome, we're being encouraged to present ourselves as worthy. And yet that doesn't correlate with the Christian message. But we don't want to be embarrassed by the Christian message because we believe it is the message. And so it will be good for us if we can capture and discover and, and uh, realize for ourselves something of the confidence that Paul had as he wrote to Rome, something of the confidence that we can still have as we find ourselves 
in a society that is increasingly post-Christian. And yet we have a message that is worth sharing with Airdrie, that is worth sharing with Edinburgh, that is worth sharing in the West, that's worth sharing right across the globe, because it's a message that we can be confident in. Um, and so I'm intrigued by Paul's boldness, and I want to see if we can figure out why he is so bold, why he is so confident, why he's not ashamed as an ordinary person writing a countercultural message to the imperial city. I want, to say, I want to pull out of these two verses three reasons, or pin what I want to say on three reasons to be, to be proud of or to, be, to boast in Paul's message of, and the uh, message of the gospel. The first is that Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. It's, it, there is power in this message to save. Power for salvation. Um, there are two concepts in biblical salvation that, are, that, that require power in order to make them happen. The first is a power to live well, a power to, to rise above the moral depravity that we see round about us. Um, behind this splendid public appearance of Rome lay a deep depravity. About half the population were slaves, of the, half the population of, of the city of Rome were slaves, and the prevailing trend in society verged downward towards indulgence and to lowliness. Human life was cheap, murder was frequent, divorce was easy to obtain and generally accepted in society. The exposure of unwanted infants was a common practice, as illustrated in the well-known letter of Hilarion to his wife, Alice, should you bear a child... If it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, expose it. And into that situation, there were moralists like Seneca, Nero's tutor, who in their writings advocated lofty ideals and spoke words of wisdom. But their, but their protests made little impact upon the entrenched evils of, of their day. Why? because they imparted to their readers no spiritual dynamic that could make their precepts effective. Paganism was devoid of any power to lift it above itself, and the growing consciousness of its own impotence brought upon it a pessimism and a depression that it could not escape. There was corruption in politics. There was debauchery in pleasure. There was fraud in business. There was deceit and superstition in religion. And all of that together made Rome a rather depressing place for the many and unendurable for the few. See, Roman men could conquer the world. Roman men could advance the empire and could win mighty battles by their power. But Roman men couldn't conquer the sinful bent in their own hearts. And so Paul uh, writes to Rome, proposes to go and preach in Rome, uh, tries to encourage the Christians who are at Rome to preach a different message, because there's a felt need amongst Roman society for some power to lift us above what we can achieve on our own, because left to our own devices, our society is on a downward, self-indulgent curve. Paul proposes, and 
and inherent and as part of the gospel, as the power of God to save, and part of that, part of that salvation is to live well, to live better. Left to our own devices, as Paul describes it later in his letter, we're, we're controlled by the sinful nature. As he lists out what that looks like in Galatians 6, it leads to repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. It leads to frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. It, 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 it leads to satisfying ourselves with small gods or idols. It leads to paranoid loneliness. As we become inward-looking, it leads to all-consuming yet never-satisfied wants. It leads to divided homes and divided lives. But in the gospel, in what Paul is proclaiming, in what Christ has done to procure for us this salvation, there is a power, a power to live better, a power to be saved from these struggles. Anders Nygren, a, a Swedish Lutheran theologian, says that the gospel is not the presentation of an idea, but the operation of a power, whereby we're not ruled and controlled by our own sinful nature, which is inward-looking and, and, and uh, self-indulgent and will lead us down, but we're controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives which will lead again from Galatians 6 uh, to a fruitfulness in our lives, to an exuberance about life, to a serenity, to a peace. We, we develop by the Spirit a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in our hearts, a, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life able to marshal and direct our energies wisely, power to live better. Just thinking about this this week and being sad to, to, note, to, to, to note on the news the life and death of Tara Palmer Tompkinson, who, um, who lived, didn't she, controlled by the sinful nature, who lived what to some is presented as the goal of this present life and world, and yet all she had was a shot on a roller coaster for a little while, and then crash after crash after crash as the sinful nature continually led her downward. But what is presented in the gospel, and what we need to get excited about as Christians is not so much a shot on the roller coaster followed by a crash and a crash and a crash, but it is the power of God to, to establish and to direct our lives such that they continually bear forth a fruitfulness that leads ultimately to the presence of the living God. Salvation by the power of God has, gives us the power to live well, gives us the power to live by the… And, according to the power of the Spirit and to, and to conquer the sinful bent. It's also a power to live forever, that second component of salvation. Salvation causing us to live well in our world and in our lives, but also to live forever. Um, what a message for, this, for the masses of slaves in Rome just working their way through a troubled existence, 
what a, what a message for the, for, the, um, for the older person among us even today who is tired of life and the downward trend of the body. Paul is presenting a message, the power of God unto salvation, to take us out of this mess, to take us out of the frustration and the limitations and the decay and the struggles of this life. It's, it's, a, it's, it, it, it's a power that will e- equip us and take us beyond all of the limitations of this world, a bridge beyond death, a hope beyond the grave, all the vitality of our youth even yet to come, the power of God to, to save us from sin and the, and the depravity round about us, but also the power of God to take us from the mess of this world and to save us for heaven to come. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's got power. It's not an idea, but it's the operation of a power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to everyone who believes. It's a gospel with potential. It's possible for the whosoever to be part of this. I'm not ashamed of it because I don't need to be able… I, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a message Paul writing and going to the city of Rome. It's a message for the, aristocra- for the aristocratic elite class of senators. It's a message for the middle-class working people. It's a message for the plebs, the poor people who were worse off than the slaves, and, and, and it, it's a message for the slaves who were over half of the population of Rome. There's no limit from who can benefit from this message. Who's it for? It's for everyone who believes. It's the power of God with uh, potential for whosoever will believe. First for the Jew, Paul says, God chose the, the Hebrew people to bring forth Jesus. Jesus was born a Jew. He shared His message with the Jews almost exclusively. Jesus uh, focused His attention and His preaching amongst His own people. And Paul, too, was a Jew. And Paul, whenever he went to a new town, typically sought out the Jews. And so, there's a sense in which the, the, the gospel came first. It was a, it was a time uh, factor. The, the, the gospel came first to the Jew but also to the Gentile. Paul went on to explain the good news wherever he went, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, to the people who were worshiping everything else but God. This is a good reason for us to be shouting this message around Airdrie, because it doesn't matter where we go, we can say that this message is for you. It doesn't matter whether we go to whatever would look like high society in, 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 in Airdrie, or whether we go to, to folks that are just struggling to get by. It's a message with potential, with possibility for everyone who would believe. I was doing a bit of visitation this past week in Edinburgh and countered all sorts of nationalities of people, some Czech people, Polish people, Lebanese, Ukrainian, Irish, English, Scottish. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a message that is that is to be applied to every culture, that is to be proclaimed across the world, because it's for everyone who believes. Paul, writing to Rome, or us in our Scottish context, we can preach this message with the possibility that whosoever can come. Why? Well, it's received by faith. It doesn't demand works. 
It doesn't demand any sort of merit. It doesn't demand money or brains or heritage or culture. It, it is the same for the person brought up in the church or the person that is no Christian heritage. It, it is the same for the person who can give a lot of money to the church or the person who can hardly give any because it is not procured by these methods or by anything in ourselves, but it is, it is, it is uh, to be received by faith, and that's why Paul can, can uh, present it as, as possible for the whosoever. It's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's possible for the whosoever. Why? Because it's by faith. I suppose it's worth asking the question, faith is something that we talk a lot about as Christians, and maybe for some of us we struggle to know what does faith really look like. Well, one of the commentators says that, that, that faith is coupling. Faith is the coupling that connects man's courage to God's engine. If you, if you, if you like uh, taking that image of a train God has the power to save. We are just the courage. But by faith, we couple our hopes and dependencies to His engine. And so, He is the energy that is going to take us home to heaven. Or to put it in, um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the imagery of um, just a human person, the sinner's empty hand reached out to God the giver. Faith includes a a firm conviction of the truth, some mental assent that what God says is true, and then a reliance on it. The Westminster Confession says this of it, by this faith, a Christian believer, a, a, a Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the Word and acteth upon it which each uh, uh, and acteth upon that which each particular passage containeth so it, it is to accept that what is said is true and then where it demands something of us we act that out we we uh, re, uh, re, uh, rely and respond to it um, not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of god I'm not ashamed of the gospel because there's, there's potential for everyone who believes. Um, just maybe worth asking the question this morning, have you coupled your courage to the engine of the Lord? Have you reached out in faith? Do you know anything of the power of God in your own life? Or are you getting tired trying to live up to something that you haven't got the power to live? Will you, in your own strength, career off the road into hell? Or will you be carried in the arms of the Savior by the power of God into the presence of the King of Kings. Not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's got potential for everyone who believes. And the last thing, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's perfecting. 
It is it bestows upon us what Paul describes here in the gospel, our righteousness from God is revealed. In the in the, the gospel, we're giving we're we're giving or it is bestowed upon us something of the righteousness of God that will enable us to stand in the presence of an Almighty God. When we discover anything of people in the presence of God throughout Scripture, it is often accompanied by fear and a sense of being unworthy. Take, for example, Job 42. There's been an awful lot of conversation in Job that has gone on, but then Job says this, "'My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and and ashes.'" Or Isaiah 6, where Isaiah at the beginning of his ministry or early on in, in, uh, in his experience is, is confronted with the Lord sitting on the throne, and he says, "'Woe to me,' I cried, I am, un- I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King.'" But whatever happens in the gospel, we're blessed with the righteousness of God whereby we'll be able to stand in His presence. This righteousness is a legal term, whereby in the court of God, He will rule in our favor, whereby we'll be able to be where God is, and yet not be undone, but He will rule in our favor and allow us to stay because of this righteousness. In the court of God, if you were in any of our earthly courts, you could get one of three things if you're found guilty. You could get time in prison, you could get a fine, or you could get a community sentence. In the court of the Lord, you could get one of two things. You'll either be cast out or be invited to stay forever. Glorious thing about what is presented in the gospel is that the righteousness of God is imputed to us, whereby in the court of God He will rule in our favor and we'll be able to stay. This righteousness comes from God. It's not gained by keeping rules. Again, as I say, I was out around some doors this week in Edinburgh and chatting to people, and you always get that old adage somebody says to you, I'm not into religion. Well, part of my response is that I'm not into it either, because the righteousness of God is not about keeping a whole set of rules, but by faith the righteousness of God is bestowed upon us. It's a gift. It's a righteousness that comes from God. It's not our own. Not ashamed the gospel. It's the power of God to live above the moral malaise that we find round about us. It's the power of God to take us through that fence of death that seemingly holds all humanity, but Jesus has pierced through it, and He'll take us after Him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because there's potential for everyone who believes, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel because 
It not only improves me, but it, but it renders me perfect in the sight of God, whereby I can stand and stay in the courts of the King of Kings. We're out doing some street cafe, just basically means setting up a table with some free hot drinks and giving out literature. On, on this, uh, just at the end of Princess Street in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago with some students by the Duke of Wellington statue, and somebody came along who had grown up in a Christian home and knew the gospel very well. It turned out as, as uh, we chatted to him for a while, but his, his, his uh, first question was, why do you think that what you're proclaiming needs to be brought out onto the street? Why do you believe that what you have to share is worth bringing out and trying to promote to others? And the student that, was, that he was challenging was a little bit knocked back, but she did recover and, and did well to, to present what she believed was a good reason why we should bring the gospel out onto the, onto the main street of Edinburgh, onto Princess Street. Here's three good reasons that we can shout about anywhere, about our gospel. It's the power of God to change lives. It's measurable. In that, in that regard. It's the power of God to break through man's great nemesis, death. It's got potential for anyone who would come, and it leaves us righteous, perfect in the sight of God, such that we can, we can be in His presence and stay there. But as I said to the kids, all of that's great, and it's glorious, but if you don't add to it faith, it will sit on the shelf, it will be of benefit to other people, but you'll not get it. And so, we need to, we need to, to couple our courage to the Lord's engine and it'll be ours. It's glorious. Um, let's sing as we finish King of Kings, Majesty.